Are You Just Watching is supported by our dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash are you just watching. Show notes for this episode can be found at areyoujustwatching.com slash 74. Are you just watching episode 74, Arrival, part one? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And that may very well be the one of the last times we do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tim and I are actually in the process of discussing and figuring out how we're going to revamp the beginning of Are You Just Watching? And I want to remind everybody once again that if you want to have some input on that, that you do need to come to Facebook and look for our discussion group. It's called Are You Just Watching? And it's a discussion group uh, and it's a closed group. So you'll have to ask to be allowed in, but we'll let you in. And that's where we're talking about some of the uh, revamping we are doing, the rebranding, I should say, of Are You Just Watching? And we've been around since 2009 and we haven't changed anything. (laughs) Except for a co-host. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what am I, Jeff Liver? <laughs> um, so we we want to come, kind of uh, make our introduction a little more interesting. I, I did, do believe we have gotten some feedback in the past about uh, people not caring much for our music. And so this will uh, probably be either switching out or getting rid of it entirely. So... Uh, something that that you guys can have a chance to chime in on, should you want to. Maybe we could get the the Giacani guy from Disney. Maybe we could get him to write something. Seems like he <laughs> composes for everything else. Yeah, well, everything else Disney. We're not Disney. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We don't work for the mouse. <laughs> no, we don't work for the mouse. Thank goodness. Ooh. Um. All right, but we are here to talk about the movie Arrival, and before we've even started the discussion, we know we're because we're doing a DVD this time, and we can, you know, throw in quotes and whatnot. We've had a little more time to think about things and really digest, watch the movie a few times. That it's going to be a two-parter. There's too much to talk about in this movie <laughs> in one episode. <laughs> so. Make sure that you have seen the movie because we will spoil it. If you haven't seen it, this movie does have kind of a gotcha at the end. Uh, we would hate to spoil it for you in our discussion if you haven't seen it yet. That the reveal and the reveal and arrival is uh, rather significant. Yeah, and I, I would say it's probably almost of the same weight as the reveal in Ender's Game, which I felt like. If you, I, to be honest, in that one, I really felt like the movie ruined the reveal. Yeah, <laughs> the book did it much better. But uh, in Arrival, the reveal is is built through the whole movie, but it doesn't. You don't really realize where you're going with it till near the yeah. end, and unless you've been somebody's teased you and you kind of have figured it out before you watch the movie. Uh, the score for Arrival it's very thoughtful, slow paced music. Um, actually kind of weird music uh, throughout. It's by Johan Johansson. Johansson? I think I said that right. Johan Johansson? That sounds right to me. 
But the music most people are going to remember from this is the beginning and ending. And that music is actually uh, a piece called On the Nature of Daylight by Max Richter. And I found quite a bit of his music on YouTube. Sounds, he's he's a, a very interesting composer. Uh, but that music is, I think, really sets the mood for the whole movie. So even though it's not part of the score, theoretically, I mean, it's a different composer, different performer. Uh, I think it's really the music that sets the mood for the whole movie. Agreed. And we'll play a little bit of that here. Arrival is based on a novella by Ted Chang. Is that Chang. right? Yep. Ted Chang. Ted Chang. Chang. Yeah. Um, those the story is called Stories of Your Life, and it's really a story that it kind of just takes one aspect of the movie and really drills the point home. So I think the the movie expanded on the story quite a bit. Don't know how many of our Listeners will have read the story or even bother to look it up, but we'll probably uh, mention it several times throughout our review because Tim is a fan and I did force myself to read it so that I at least had it in, in context in my brain for this, and, for this discussion. And it is interesting because uh, I read the story. I, I actually listened to it and then read it and then saw the movie and, and you did it the other way around. So we came at the uh, story from two different perspectives regarding the the reveal uh, that's common to both of them so we have uh, agreements and disagreements about it yeah well that's understandable <laughs> the the movie's directed by dennis villeneuve i don't know have did you look up to see what else he's done i have not oh he's doing the upcoming blade runner oh looks like he's a relative uh newcomer well this one was a very well done movie so i'm i'm impressed with his ability to put together a thoughtful movie because i think this movie it's not the shoot 'em up bang bang kind of high action science fiction that people i think often go to sci-fi to see uh it's more Michael of they would be very disappointed yeah um this is more of one of those really thoughtful slow paced high concept uh, movies where it's dealing with uh, more of a science or a philosophy issue. Uh, I think it's actually one of the things I really like about science fiction. It's not about action and special effects. It's about a giant metaphor blown up to express a complex idea. And I think that this is very much a giant metaphor. So I, I think that this is what I like about science fiction. This is definitely a drama and does not qualify in any stretch as a action film. No, <laughs> there's hardly any. Well, they did add a little bit of action into it that was not in the story. 
to add a little bit more drama to what was almost yeah. a, more of a cerebral type movie where it's all a thought and philosophical science discussion. And they wanted to make it, I think, a little bit more accessible to a general audience. And I think they did a very good job. I think they added enough fluff in there to make the movie entertaining. I remember when uh, when I had heard that they were making a movie of this short story, uh, I remember thinking there is absolutely no way they could do it. But they, they really did a, a pretty good job, even though uh, um, I feel like they lost some of the elements that I liked about the short story. But frankly, I don't know how those elements could have been included in such a way that it would work in a visual medium anyway. Hmm. That's interesting because for me, I felt like uh, having read the story afterwards, which maybe this is it, you know, the difference in opinion is that it was all discussion about stuff that was hard to picture. And I think that they, it, they were able to express it visually in a way that took out all of the technical, hmm. technical jargon and made it more accessible to a wider audience. Um, I felt like the the story was very full of technical jargon and a lot of just conversation, high philosophical discussions going back and forth between yeah. characters. And that's really hard for the general audience to follow and understand. And they were able to express all of those ideas visually without having to talk about them. So you could leave out all of all of the, the jargon that most people wouldn't understand. Yeah, that, that particularly the way they did the uh, the heptapod language. Mm-hmm. Uh, or rather the heptapod writing because the, the <laughs> spoken language and the written language are two different ones. Yep. Uh, yeah. But uh, very, very interesting. And, and you remember when we first started discussing doing Arrival? I want to say it was like six months ago. Yeah. Well, the movie came out in November of 2016. Okay. And I saw it in the theater. And soon after I saw it, we got feedback from a listener asking us if we were going to do a podcast mm-hmm. on it. And at the time, you hadn't seen the movie yet, and it, we were getting into Christmas time, and our, both of our lives were hectic. Yep. So we decided to put it off. And I think it was a good idea to put it off because now we can really take the time to to dissect what's going on in the movie. There was a video in Facebook about a uh, a gentleman breaking down the the writing in the movie and claiming some theological elements to it like I want to say tying it to satanism or something like that. It it was interesting and I thought it was a significant stretch, let's say. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that we have a problem with as Christians is we tend to look at these kind of movies we take them too realistically. And one of the things that I've always liked about, and I've always said this, is science fiction is usually a metaphor. And we, as Christians, can pull a lot of meaning out of how people interact and behavior, language, in this movie's case, language, uh, and other things that are spoken of in metaphor by adding an alien, which is unrealistic in our worldview. Mm-hmm to the mix, if that makes any sense. And people tend to take things too realistically and then try to stretch it into a discussion of the demonic when that it really doesn't even enter in uh, to the discussion because it's not really an aspect of the movie. Speaking of, um, we do want you to go check out the plugged in review. I did read it before we uh, got on here to record. I was curious to see what they said about the movie. Uh, as as usual, we don't do the breakdown that they do at Plugged In, uh, where they 
you know, kind of show you what all the bad elements and positive elements are in the movie. We're not going to talk about those. So if you want to have a good Christian perspective on whether or not this movie should be something you watch, be sure to check out their review. They always do a good job. Which was actually... Yeah, it was a it was a very good review, and they didn't give away <laughs> the ending, which was very nice of them. It's a trick. <laughs> which we will. So if you haven't watched the movie yet, uh oh. Yeah, uh, no non spoiler section here. There is not. In fact, the next thing that I'm going to talk about the the main observation that I wanted to make overall about the movie was that uh, the very concept of the of the language that they're trying to bring across in the movie arrival is the actual device of the, of the structure of the movie. So what they discover about the heptapods language is that in their written language, they are outside time. So they, their every sentence is a, is, it's even really hard to explain, <laughs> but it, it is outside time. And so they, they actually can see the, the end of the sentence before right. they start the sentence. And so they, they write circular and that is what this movie is you start at the ending and you end at the beginning it's a circle and when you look at it that way the second or third time you watch the movie it all kind of kind of comes clear but the first time you're not realizing that you're starting at the ending and ending at the start yeah it's a really interesting way of putting a movie together and that really is the spoiler of all this is that, that the mm-hmm. the language is uh, the gift or the weapon uh, in the movie, I mm-hmm. think it was exclusively referred to as a weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Well, she, when she says that she's learned how to read it, she says it's not a weapon, it's a gift. Yeah. So she, she does rephrase that, but yeah, they, their actual translation of the word used is weapon. So anyway, with the, the way that the movie is put together and that circular format, obviously it's really hard to know where to start talking about it because there's so much that, that exists in the circular aspect. But I think the best place to start is kind of where the movie uh, really heavily diverges from the story. And that is where the politics uh, and the, their presentation of what the world is like when these mm-hmm. aliens arrive, which is what, where their title of the movie comes from arrival. Uh, it was something that I think it really stood out to you and it really stood out yeah. to me as well. It didn't drastically change the elements of the story that mm-hmm. were taken from the original source material, but I feel like it did change the story as presented in the in the movie. You know, because there's the the entire radical group that that seeks to bomb the the aliens and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Even though the action doesn't really change the end result at all. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and uh, to be honest. To, and this is where we differ. I felt like it made it all more realistic because if aliens landed all over the world, all at, all at the same time, you know, at least 12 different locations, the world would panic. I mean, that's just the kind yeah. of world we well, live in there. It's not something. Oh, aliens have landed. OK, well, let's just go on with our lives like normal, which is what I really felt like the story kind of presented was this. Everybody's just going on as normal. And we we threw our scientists at it and continued on, you know, whatever. And in the in the movie, they show, I think, it to a great, almost too much extreme. But the fact that they show the world panicking, it to me feels more realistic, because I do feel like the common person would be a little bit worried about what's going mm-hmm. on, not just 
continuing life as normal. But I think that they do kind of go to the extreme. One of the first scenes you see is where we see Dr. Banks um, going to teach her language class. And there's, you know, everybody's like missing from her class. And then they, the alarm goes off and everybody leaves the college. And then she comes in the next day and there's nobody there. And she's by herself in her office. And I was thinking, okay, I understand worldwide panic. I do get that. But why would you call off classes? Yeah. So I I think they took it too far in the movie. It's like, granted, I think there would be panic, but I think they took it a little too far. But as I, I guess they had to set up something. Well, when she's walking so. into the class on that second day, you know, they show the military jets fly, flying over and everything. I just I mm-hmm. I disagree. I don't think we would see the level of global panic that was shown in the movie. But at the same time, I mean, we have plenty of evidence that there would be fringe groups. Um, what was that? The cult that, uh, not in the movie, but in real life, the the cult that said the the comet was their ride out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and and see, that's just a normal every. I mean, comets yeah. happen; those are fairly normal. But an alien landing twelve ships all over the country. I mean, we're talking Independence Day here. They're either here for good or they're here for bad. People are not going to take that and go on with their normal life. But well, here for good or here for bad? I, Why I can't think, it be neither or both, though? Well, that's the thing is, is that people wouldn't know, so they would panic because that's what people do. They panic for no reason. I think it was more realistic to show the panic. I think they just took it. And then they also showed, you know, how the people were all mobbing the location and they had to like set up barriers to keep people from getting in. And in the book, they show them like going off to the nearby town for dinner. And, and I just, I I really felt like the book didn't really, they were too calm. Yeah. Yeah, They didn't explore uh, how much of an impact it would be to have aliens contact us. I mean, we have, groups all over the world that are trying to establish communications with an alien race and reality and to have an alien just plop well, well in the book it was some kind of lens that they talked to in the middle of locations all over the world um i think that would you know raise some hair on people's but arms and legs at the same you know? time, it's not like diners would close and stop doing business especially if you're a din- if you're the closest diner no. to the remote landing site in montana but i i don't think the scientists would be allowed to uh, come and go freely like they show them in the probably book. would have been locked down and because they they're in a top secret environment and they don't want people getting past the checkpoint and all that kind of stuff so yeah i th- i just i think it was dealt with too calmly in the book and to me that's why the movie feels more realistic even if they did go a little bit overblown i think i'm just gonna pepper in a few quotes here of some of the things we picked out where they were discussing Mm -hmm. what was going on in the world. After Tuesday's extraordinary events, the president this morning has declared a state of emergency, with as many as 5,000 National Guard being deployed to the state of Montana alone. Borders are closed and flights have been grounded, stranding millions of travelers. Panic buying of gas, water, and food continues to escalate, and federal authorities have temporarily lifted all caps on overtime for law enforcement. The ATF has put a temporary ban on new gun licenses, forcing many independent suppliers of hunting equipment and firearms to close their doors to the public. 
violence continues to spread across the U.S. today in the wake of the 12 landings. The president has declared a mandatory dust-to-dawn curfew after the crackdown by the National Guard failed to prevent a third night of looting across the country. In North Dakota, 144 members of the St. Lawrence Pentecostal cult are feared dead after they set their compound ablaze. Their website claims the arrival of the aliens set in motion a prophecy that 12 sets of 12... of the aliens goes viral. Biological contamination is a major risk factor at the Montana site, so say environmental pressure groups. 800,000 march on Washington to protest the government's handling of the crisis. All this and more special coverage. So that's just a smattering. All of these quotes came kind of like in between scenes, you know, kind of like when you're walking into a scene, you'll have a TV playing it or... They're walking through a room and you hear somebody with a newscast playing or something. They're they're kind of almost exactly. like transitions. It's all background. Yeah, it's all yeah. background. And if you're not paying attention, you're not going to hear it. So I think that, um, that they kind of almost used it to create environment. It wasn't so much this was a point they were trying to make. And one thing I do want to point out is, is while it does seem like they're targeting conservatives as being the bad guys in all of this, they did say... Um, that environmentalists were complaining about biological contamination. And that's typically more of mm-hmm. a liberal leftist complaint of side of things. Yeah, but it definitely in the movie's presentation, the majority of the uh, of the violent rhetoric seemed to be more um, right emanating from. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it, the movie is before the alt-right and the alt-right really that's white supremacist garbage and all yeah. that. The alt right, technically, that would be the left because that's the alternative right. Yeah. <laughs> I know that the lefts wouldn't appreciate oh, that, but they're not—they're not true conservatives, so they don't really. Represent. Oh, for the days when Rush Limbaugh was the worst uh, right <laughs> yeah. person that that uh, they could complain about. Yeah, exactly. Now there is, and speaking of Rush Limbaugh, there was like an internet talk show that they dwelt on and I can't put the quote in because it's too long but it was talking about trying to to get people uh interested in in violent action against the aliens that you know maybe we should be the ones to shoot first kind of idea so yeah they definitely present uh that concept throughout and so there's a lot of politics in the movie that didn't exist in the story because of that and it kind of gives us I guess a a chance to discuss some of those worldview issues and uh there are elements, you know. There are uh, government actions in the in the movie, uh, like the the curfew and the ban on guns. But I question whether or not they would have happened in the movie's presentation. Yeah, the ban on guns was the ban on sale of guns. So people who already had them. I mean, we're not talking about right. like the the left really wants to just go and pick up all the guns and get rid of them all and. I don't see that happening in the U.S., but I could see them putting a freeze on the sell of guns um, under a situation where they're worried that people are going to go in armed conflict against aliens and start a war that we didn't necessarily they didn't come looking for or something. But it's it's interesting. I'm still curious as to why it was all the why they only portrayed the conservative pundits as being the ones who. were immediately advocating violence against the uh, against the alien. Threat. Yeah, and I, you know, that could just be our 
angle of looking at it, I mean, they didn't necessarily say they were, you know, the right conservatives when they were just showing talking heads saying it. And maybe we are assuming that that's who they mean. But typically, the conservative right are the ones on the side of gun ownership. So maybe they see us as a bunch of of warmongers anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that does actually play into uh, a really common trope. Uh, uh, the most the biggest presentation of it is uh, Dr. Strangelove or how I learned to love the bomb. Mm hmm. Um, where it was the military is all about fight, 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 kill, 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 destroy. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they do play into that, uh, however accurately it may be, uh, <laughs> with Arrival, too. I mean, the, yeah. you know, the military uh, are the ones who focus on the idea of a weapon. Mm -hmm. And uh, although I do want to say Forrest Whitaker, who seems to be playing a lot of military roles recently... <laughs> Um, he plays uh, Colonel Weber in in Arrival. Uh, he does he does a really respectable job making Weber look like just a person in who's serving his country in uniform. Yeah, and wade through all the red tape too. Yeah. So yeah, I I think that was a, a very well done role. Now in the politics, uh, since you mentioned you know weapon and all of that, I think part of this is a lingual thing, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting um, is the way that everybody heard something different when they finally started understanding what the aliens were saying that each of the groups of people that were communicating at the 12 locations were communicating a different way and hearing different things based on the context in which they were communicating. For instance, when uh, Dr. Banks gets the translation of what the aliens are there for, it, it was to offer weapon, but the Chinese heard it as use weapon. Then there was another instance where they were talking about uh, there is not time, many become one, and it was interpreted differently based on whether they were th talking about war or cooperation. So, I mean, it's like you, you interpret the things you hear based on the context of what you expect to hear. Does that make sense? Yeah, and they they actually foreshadow this at the at the very beginning of the film when Weber comes to see her and uh, she says, you know, I can't I can't do this just based off sounds. I, I I need to be able to see it. And they say, well, thank you very much for your time. We'll we'll try somebody else. And uh, she says, before you commit to him, ask him the Sanskrit word for war and its translation. And when he comes back to her, yeah, he says this. Yeah, that, that's intriguing because then we have this this whole juxtaposition of how you interpret the words because some cultures don't have the right words for the right context of what you're trying to say. And the other one that's very similar to that is when they're talking about the Chinese and she's interpreting what the Chinese are saying, this conversation that Chinese general was having. And he said... Um, something about sets, and she f determines that they're using the Bajang yeah. sets in order to yeah. uh, communicate with their aliens. Well, let's say that I taught them chess instead of English. Every conversation would be a game, every idea expressed through opposition, victory, defeat. You see the problem? Mm. If all I ever gave you was a hammer, everything's a nail. It's a very interesting yeah. uh, discussion about language, and, and I want to spend some time talking about that because I'm really intrigued by linguistics. It's always been one of my favorite topics, even though I myself have never 
mastered another language. Mm. I've always just been completely engrossed in the concept of linguistics. I think it's amazing. I have actually failed another language. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on, on the podcast before, but uh, as a vet, I went through the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California for the mm-hmm. language of Czech. Hmm. Uh, it, uh, at the time, it was spoken in the uh, Republic of Czechoslovakia. Uh, it probably still is, but <laughs> the Republic <laughs> isn't there. So um, anyway, uh, between class and study, I was going 14-hour days and uh, was just barely passing. So ended up uh, not getting my language certification. So I actually I actually bounced out of Czech. So I'm a bounce Czech. Wow. Um, but, uh, it, I'll tell you what, seriously, learning, learning another language can be a very, very challenging thing. And I think it's those concepts, uh, that make it difficult. And I did want to mention, uh, the author, um, Ted Chang is a, uh, a go-to translator for Chinese short stories or Chinese novels. Uh, for American publishers, um, there's an award-winning novel mm-hmm. called The Three-Body Problem, which is uh, written in uh, in Mandarin, and he translated it to English, and it went on to win uh, awards uh, in the English circles, too. Mm-hmm. So I think he has a, a pretty strong foundation when it comes to writing about these linguistic differences and and uh, and turning them into a, a nice, solid story like he did. Yeah with this and and the linguistics really are a big part of both the movie and the short story. Yes. So I I was very pleased that they that they were able to uh work that into the story the way to the movie the way they did. Yeah. And I think that that's also a hallmark of science fiction because if you start thinking back over a lot of the sci-fi plots failure to communicate is usually one of the bigger plots that gets you rehashed. Yeah. Um, but it's a universal constant. It's a, yes, it's a universal constant, and it's I like and I think that that's it's like a, it's that it's that giant metaphor. It's like we always, I I think even like in your uh, uh and how much you love the story and how much I didn't like the story uh, mm-hmm. is a failure to communicate based on gender because I think men tend to look for different things in a story than a woman does, and. Uh, what excites us and, and gets us involved in a story typically is not the same thing as excites and, and engrosses a man. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a difference in, in the way we look at things. And it's a failure to communicate. And so I think that the, it's a giant metaphor. And that's why it's so exciting to talk about what's in this movie because. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it, it's, it's a part it's, of I life. Think, <laughs> I, I think you might be off base on the gender differences in in this particular case, though there are certain plent certainly plenty of uh, examples of it, you know, uh, having an impact mm-hmm. on society. Um, I would really be interested if uh, some of our readers might might uh, pick up the the story. It's called Stories of Your Life. And we'll and put a link a, to it in the show notes because we did yeah, find a, yeah. a place online where you can read it. But uh, I'd be interested in knowing if that if that gender thing plays out because I didn't really get that feeling. I really felt that the difference was more because because of the order of uh, how I was introduced to it to the well, how you to, were introduced to it. Plus, you said you had. Uh, I would never a, have read that story for first person point of view. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but this is this, this story to me was, uh, I would never have read it and I would have gone to see the movie. So, I mean, if if somebody had put that in front of me and said, read it, I would have gotten five pages into it and stopped. It it just didn't (laughs) grab my attention. That that's, I guess, just the difference here. One of the things that we noticed in the in the movie was that uh, you know they were they were portraying uh, conservative pundits in general as uh, as feeling threatened by the arrival of these alien ships, and uh, that got me thinking about uh, how uh, we as Christians should be addressing challenges to our worldview mm-hmm. and. I don't think the movie accurately reflects the way that Christians should be doing it, uh, but I think it may be closer to accurately reflecting the way it would be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact of the matter is we should be you know, basing all of our reactions, we should be testing everything against Scripture. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely our, our authority and our guideline, and... To be honest, I don't think that anything could happen that scripture isn't capable of explaining or setting a guideline for. We can hypothesize what we would do in the event that aliens would land on Earth. But since the Bible doesn't deal with aliens landing on Earth, I don't think that's going to happen. So, let me, let me ask you about that. It's because the Bible doesn't mention the possibility of aliens. You don't think that there's any possibility of aliens being out there? No, I I don't think that that's the reason. I think it's that the very fact that Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins mm-hmm. and the entire creation is cursed, then if there are other intelligent beings in the universe, they are outside of the ability to be saved because Christ came to us and not them. So if you look at it from that theological spin, um, yeah. they're either doomed, they're demonic, or they don't exist. I would tend to agree with that, except that... I always feel like we want to put God's limitations in a, you know, we want to put boundaries around what God does and does not do. And it, it's tough to do because, I mean, we know he does what's in scripture. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that we are too easy to forget uh, that he, you know, does stuff outside of scripture too. Well, but the things that the the scripture is there for us. So whatever he does outside of scripture isn't for us. Hmm. So if there is something beyond us that we that he didn't tell us about, he didn't tell us about it because we didn't need to know about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it's it is not pertinent to our salvation. Right. <laughs> to our redemption. I don't think that my faith would be challenged if aliens landed. I would be curious as to how uh, the plan of salvation works through them, uh, works for them. Maybe they're like animal, very intelligent animals where they are simply part of creation. Well, then that you would have to, there, there's a lot of space time issues with even the concept of them ever coming here because the, yeah. the universe is so vast. The ability to travel between stars is, is beyond yeah. comprehension right now. And the, for them to be able to travel here before we have the ability to travel there means they're more intelligent than we are. And they would have existed for hundreds of thousands <laughs> of years. I mean, by, by, yeah, the, it just doesn't fit into the Bible in yeah. any, in any way. And so I think that, it's highly unlikely. I don't think my faith would be challenged if they would appear, but I, 
I just honestly don't even think it's it's a consideration. Yeah, I, I don't. I yeah. I can I can understand that. Yeah, the Bible excludes it from being a consideration, and so therefore, uh, while I enjoy stories about aliens, I don't. I feel that they exist in a realm of fantasy that is yeah fun to read about and explore, but not necessarily. Like I said, I like science fiction because of the metaphors, not because of. I think it's real. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my ray gun and I have something to say about that. <laughs> uh, no, it's, and the aliens are are just, you know, an element of the metaphor here too mm-hmm. about uh, known and unknown and and sources of knowledge. And I think in in our second session, because I know we won't have time to get to it in this, but I really want to discuss. Uh, and so definitely make sure you tune into the second episode because we're going to really de- dig into the aliens as the metaphor and representation for God, because I really feel like uh, this was a, the, the people who built the story, um, both the author of the story and the screenplay writers uh, really have missed a big gaping hole in their discussion <laughs> because they're coming at it from a secular worldview. And and but I want to delve into that when we have a lot of time to talk about it. So let's stick with our topic of consideration here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, the the next thing that uh, that I wanted to mention was uh, the advertising uh, for the movie before it came out was uh, a lot of it featured taglines and the posters like why did they come why are they here mm-hmm. and they actually answer that in the movie. I noticed that that is not something that they ever really address in the story. So I was curious about it. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, they say uh, the aliens answer the question. They say, because in 3000 years, we will need your help. Mm -hmm. And and I was thinking, you know, that that reminds me a little bit of Interstellar Mm -hmm. and how humanity is put up on a on a pedestal again as being the great salvation. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that humanity is not special because let's face it we are mm-hmm. we're created in the image of god so uh, amongst all other creation humanity is we aren't the salvation we're the reason for salvation the need exactly. the need for salvation <laughs> we're the cause of the fall for yeah. Pete's sake <laughs> Uh, but uh, in the movie, you know, uh, humanity will be the savior of this race that has technology that comes to Earth with technology beyond our comprehension. I I don't know whether did they say they just need, would need our help or that we would be their salvation because there's a difference between. It's I'm pretty sure they said that they will need our help. Yeah, well, that's that's not quite going to the level of that will be their uh, salvation. They might need our help for something. There, there's a, that's a kind of a theme that's dealt with a lot in science fiction. I don't know whether you're familiar with David Bren, um, his books, The Uplift War and uh, Star Tide Rising, and I'm trying to think what some I, of them. I know, are. That, I know of the author, but I don't think yeah. I've ever read any of his stuff. Um, a lot of his books deal with that concept of where you uplift. Um, the whole concept of it is is that the technological, the advanced races uplift, you know, the less advanced races and bring them up to a level um, so that then yeah, they become. That's a common thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel that um, that that may have been more of not necessarily that we would be their salvation, but that they would need our help for something in yeah. the future and that okay. we needed to be on the same level as them in order to be of assistance. And of course, they can see this because they can see the future. They they see the future 
present in the past all is the same thing. thing. Yeah. Which is really hard to wrap your mind around. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's not so much that they can see the future because, you know, when we when we talk about seeing the future, uh, we think of in prophetic uh, inspired prophecy yeah. or like the Oracle of Delphi or something like that. <laughs> but that's not what. They just simply Arrival see it as it's already happened. It's it's not yeah. something that will happen. It has happened. Everything has already happened. It's weird. But we're going to yeah, discuss that more. <laughs> so actually, uh, the the last thing that I wanted to mention was that uh, it sort of ties back into the political discussion, too, was uh, when it seems like, uh, again, almost a trope when – humanity faces the unknown uh we we panic and i i don't think that we should i think we should be used to facing the unknown. <laughs> uh, yeah and that's a hard one to deal with because we we live with people who i don't know i i feel like it, it, within my own experience i would never panic but we're talking about a group of people that Right on the streets frequently nowadays uh, when something doesn't yeah, go their over way. A, a verdict. Yeah, people panic and and they break into stores and they loot and they. It just seems like and and you know I think this is just really a demonstration of the sinful heart because we have a, a selfishness bred into us through our sin that makes us think only about ourselves and in times of stress and so I don't know. But at the same time, we see things like we're, we're recording this only a, a few a week or two after uh, the flooding in in Houston, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's also amazing to see how mankind comes together and helps each other under under times of stress. So, yeah. uh, in fact, right now as we're recording, uh, there is a hurricane striking Florida, and I'm sure that when it's all said and done, that there will be loads of compassion volunteers and uh, things being sent down to Florida to help. So that's thankfully as as humanity we have both we get both sides of the spectrum so yeah well it's a by the grace of god mm-hmm. um and uh it's i guess i just wanted to to point out that christians should be okay with the unknown i mean the bible talks about it uh on a number of occasions uh, the thing that immediately came to mind for me was job mm-hmm. um uh job 11 7 through 9 can you fathom the depths of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're higher than the heavens. What can you do? Mm-hmm. They're deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. So God is so infinitely isn't a big enough word. No, it isn't. And he's in control. And as Christians, that's yeah. that should be our biggest comfort on no matter what. Like it's in the circumstances of the unknown is like, Whatever happens, God's in control of it. So we sh- we should always be able to take comfort in that. And the, the people who think they have it figured out, they're just fools. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick, throw I want to throw in Ecclesiastes uh, eight seventeen. I know this is uh, your favorite mm-hmm. book. Yes, one of them. Yeah. Um, one of them. Yep. Um, uh, I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know it, he is unable to discover mm-hmm. it. And that's uh, Ecclesiastes eight seventeen. You know, the, the main premise of this movie, and I think this will this will just conclude this episode because we're going to go along on this. Um, the main premise of this movie is all about language and how you communicate. And uh, there's lots of 
quotes throughout the movie that kind of express what language is. And I just wanted to delve into some of this. Um, the very first time we that well, not the very first time, but we see uh, Dr. Banks teaching and she comes in. The, she's obviously in the middle of a lecture series and she's talking about Portuguese. And, and this is the quote that she gives. Uh, the story of Portuguese begins in the kingdom of Galicia. Sorry. In the Middle Ages, where language was seen as an expression of art. And then a little while later on, she's having a conversation with Ian in the helicopter, and he brings this up. Language is the foundation of civilization. It is glue that holds the people together. It is the first weapon drawn in a conflict. That's quite a greeting. Yeah, well, we wrote it. Yeah, that's great. Even if it's wrong. It's wrong. Well, the cornerstone of civilization isn't language, it's science. And this this is the, um, the like, I guess, the introduction to her book that she has published on language. And I just thought it was interesting that he's seeing it. He's like, he, you're wrong. He tells her that she's wrong about uh, language being the foundation of civilization. But she really is right. Because you cannot have any kind of information communicated without language. So regardless of whether you think science and math and all of those things are more important than language, you can't communicate them without language. So they, Mm -hmm. they in themselves are a type of language. So language is a way that you express, communicate. uh, It's either a written or a verbal means of communicating information. That's what language is. And we can narrow that down to saying that it's something that humans have. But I would say that other animals have language, too. I mean, we've determined that dolphins and whales communicate and uh, other animals have language. It's it's a way of communicating information. If you did not have information, you could not have language and you cannot communicate information without language. So they're kind of integral to each other. And the reason I bring that up is because you can't have information without language. You can't have language without information, which came first. It's kind of the chicken and the egg concept. And yeah. I would premise. Well, well information existed. Well, that's say, that I would premise that that is the most logical argument for God, because in order to have information, you have to have an information giver. It can't arrive on its own. It has to be given. Mm-hmm. And I think that from a logical standpoint, because information has to exist in order to have information, it has to come from somewhere. Just like law, law is given by a lawgiver, that that is the, the best logical argument for the existence of God. <laughs> so just hmm. a little informational tidbit that I, I really enjoy thinking about because, you know, they always try to say that believing in God is not logical. But not believing in God, in my opinion, is not logical because where does logic come from? If you do not have the the source of uh, logical thought or of information, those things are not material. They can't exist um, without a giver. It's interesting. Uh, I would not quite random thought, uh, <laughs> but uh, the information is the standard by which faster than light. Travel is measured, mm-hmm. whether or not they can send information it's faster, faster than, than the speed, speed of, of light. light. Yeah. 
and uh so it yeah i i can see information being uh being a it's a non-material thing but it's something that yeah. uh, and you can't explain it materially and to me that is that is where god is that's that's god in the equation basically and and i think that that's what this movie and the story it was based on it's the big gaping hole that we're going to get into later because that is the concept that that they're dealing with this mind bending concept of of being outside time and thinking of time as a variable and all of that uh, i think they're missing uh, something very big and very important in all of that the the other thing that's really brought out in this movie is that learning other languages expands the the way you think and cha- can change your perspective and that's kind of the 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 game changer in the movie yeah they they talk about it rewiring your right. brain louise as she's immersing herself in the language it is changing the way she thinks and they portray that so beautifully in the movie with these uh flashes that she keeps having and some of the dreaming that she does as well. Yeah. That it's changing the way she thinks. You know, I was doing some, some reading um, about this idea that if you immerse yourself into a foreign language that you can actually rewire your brain. Yeah, it's not Wharf hypothesis. Mm. The theory that... Uh, it's, it's the theory that uh, the language you speak determines how you think and... Yeah, it affects how you see everything. It was... Uh, I'm curious, are you dreaming in their language? And that's kind of the, the whole turnaround for for the movie in that she is influenced by the language. And that's why I really hate that I have been incapable of learning another language because I really feel like it has made me um, a little bit too hidebound in the fact that I cannot see someone else's perspective or wrap my mind around um, how other people think. But I also think that this is an aspect of the curse. In Genesis 11, where the Tower of Babel takes place, um, we see that that the whole world had one language in the same words. This is Genesis 11, starting in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and then confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, this has always been a very interesting story to me, because I really feel like the curse of Babel, where he confused the languages, is still happening. It's not a one-time thing. I think it is a constant wrench that he throws in our communications (laughs) Yeah, And I think that you can see that happening because when you isolate a group of people, their language changes and they become to the point where they cannot communicate with other people that even speak the same language. And Oh, you mean like the Scots? Because, <laughs> you know, 
when that brogue kicks in, I can't understand a word they're yeah. saying. And uh, American versus British and Australian, we all speak the same language, but we have different words for things. And we mean different things when we say different words. Um, if you say trunk uh, here in the United States, we think of luggage or the or the back of a car. Um, that it means something different in Australian English or and the the back end of a car is called a boot in British and Australian English. Right. Uh, so we we have different words for things and we pronounce words differently, even dialectically. And here in the United States, even from one coast to the other, north and south, east and west. The mid and in the Midwest, we all have different dialects and how we say our words. Even though we have the internet and TV and all of these things to kind of bring our language together, we still manage to uh, separate ourselves. And so, I really feel like this this curse at Babel to spread people out to force them from coming together and having one mind about things is still going on today. God is keeping us confused. And it's really interesting yeah. to watch it happen that that got that language continues to disperse itself. It doesn't it doesn't come together. We we continue to misunderstand and miscommunicate on a regular basis, even when we speak the same language. So are you thinking the failure the failure of communications, even like in an email at work, mm-hmm. uh has ties back to the Tower of Babel. Uh, the Tower mm-hmm. of Babel. Isn't that isn't okay. that fascinating? Yeah. I mean, to think about it that yeah. that we're still under this curse. <laughs> you know what? In my next performance review, I'm going to mention that. <laughs> I'm sure that will go over really well. <laughs> well, you know, I would have done better, except <sighs> there's that whole Tower of Babel thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the fact that the aliens gift us with their language, and everybody sees it as a weapon in the movie, um, I think that that is, you know. That where it comes from is that language is a gift from God, but it's also a curse because our our intellect and the information that we are able to communicate through language uh, is a gift from God. God made us intelligent enough to communicate, but then he cursed us to prevent us from using that communication for to sinful heights of that he can't. I mean, the way it's phrased in there is that, you know, nothing is beyond them. I mean, this is only the beginning of what they will do. If they have a common language and language is not a barrier, the sky's the limit as to the evil that they can can get themselves into. And so he slowed us down in our evil producing <laughs> by cursing our communication. Yeah, it's the challenge challenge to God. They they specifically wanted to avoid being scattered throughout the earth. Mm-hmm. And he had told them to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. So they were disobeying God mm-hmm. in, in what they were doing. Yeah. It's it's very interesting, and whenever I I see anything that really deals with the concept of language, that always throws me back to what I feel like is a very such a small passage. It's buried in the genealogies between Noah and Abraham, and it, and it's just just a few verses, but it's so important because it deals with even some of the the infighting that we have even among Christians, like which version of the Bible to use. You know, the KJV only people say that only the KJV is the authorized word of God. But if that's the only authorized word of God, what about the people who speak Spanish or French or German? You know, do do they not have the authorized word of God? And well, obviously, everybody needs to go back to the Vulgate. (laughs) It's, you know, uh, when I was a a very young child, I uh, would go to church with uh, my grandmother my father's mm-hmm. mother 
and she went to a uh, an Orthodox Catholic church, Polish Orthodox Catholic church. I don't know that that's an actual denomination. <laughs> but anyway, they still did everything in Latin. Mm. But that's you have and, to actually uh, know Latin for that to work. Yeah. So really the people who were going were going just to be at best to be devout. Mm-hmm. Not to really at worst to look good. Not to know really know God. I I don't think I mean my personal opinion is is that God is in every translation that is done in a prayerful way. And that we have to yeah. be careful because I, I had a professor in college who had this terminology he used is that translators are traitors. It's like every time you translate something from one language to another, you are betraying the original because there's always some shade of meaning you're going to lose. And I mean, it would be wonderful. You have if, to. It'd be wonderful if all of us could learn Hebrew and Greek so that we could read it in Aramaic and read it in the original language. But um, I think that God is in it and God can be found in it, even if it is a faulty translation. And we mm-hmm. do the best we can. And I think God blesses the efforts of translators who are uh, working. Yeah, because it really isn't. It, I mean, it, it's the words of the spirit and the spirit is in, you know, the spirit is available available to those who are seeking. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I think we uh, need to have to those who are elect. It, I think that's why we need to have the spirit in our in our hearts and in our minds when we read scripture. It's not just enough to sit down and read the book if the spirit is not helping us interpret what we're reading. And I think that that is part of the curse, you know, that we can misunderstand words on a page without the spirit helping us in the interpretation. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the Bible is definitely the authoritative word of God, but without the Holy Spirit indwell, indwelling in us, it's nonsense. And I, I'm thankful that God didn't just leave us with a written book. He gave us the the Holy Spirit as well. And on that note, I think we will close this discussion so that we can open up another discussion on arrival because there's still so much to talk about. So if you want to comment on this episode, you can go to areyoujustwatching.com slash 74. Uh, You can uh, Call us at 903-231-2221 and leave voicemail. Do, as I said at the beginning, uh, make sure you go to Facebook and find us on our Are You Just Watching discussion group if you want to be involved in our rebranding. And you can email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. I am on Twitter at Eve Franklin. I'm on Twitter at Ren Chaplet. R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And we do want you to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. That Please. That does. Uh, please, please. Yeah, that helps us know not only that you're out there, but it helps other people know that we're out there. And the more you mm. review us on iTunes, the more we can pop up and people will see us and check us out. So uh, we would really appreciate, especially if you follow us on Facebook, that if you, whenever we post an episode on Facebook, that you share it. Go ahead and, and share it on your wall so more people but we get more visibility that would help as well even if it's out of your way or whatever to go and review us on itunes at least share us in facebook that would help a tremendous amount to get our our listenership up give the gift of are you just watching <laughs> <laughs> absolutely our dulcet tones are a gift to yes. anyone um and so i think that's it for this episode do check out uh in a few weeks we'll be posting the second part of this discussion i'm e franklin i'm tim martin and thanks so much for listening and don't just watch 
Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx. Noodle.mx.